0: Hi, I'm Andy Hart from SPD Automotive and welcome back to Case Studies, our weekly series looking at connectivity, autonomy, shared mobility, and electrification within the automotive industry. I hope you're all staying safe and sane out there in this difficult time. Today, we're going to pluck you out of your home and offices and take you on a journey to explore the future of shared mobility. It's been an insanely busy few months for shared mobility. We've seen layoffs by companies like Uber, services being shut down by Maven and others, for sale signs popping up on startups like Zooks, acquisitions being announced like Intel by MoveIt, governments unveiling plans to shake up urban mobility, and everyone left wondering how a more virus-conscious public is going to react to sharing vehicles once they emerge from the shutdowns. The pace of change is almost dizzying, as are the breadth and projections being screamed out of different parts of the industry. If you follow Twitter or LinkedIn, we seem to have jumped from proclaiming the death of vehicle ownership to proclaiming the death of shared mobility in a matter of months. To give us a more balanced view on what's going on, I'm joined today by Mo Albeder, who heads up our shared mobility team and has supported dozens of companies with their strategies around shared mobility. Hey, Mo, thanks for joining. Hi, Andy, thanks for having me. So Mo, before we talk about some of the flux going on within this space, can you start by telling us what the overall roadmap towards shared mobility looks like? Shared mobility is all about enabling a more efficient and affordable way of getting millions of people from A to B, but what are some of the stages that this sector is going through on the path towards achieving that vision?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, really, shared mobility depends on the location and on the geographical location, as such, on the people who use the shared mobility services that are available to them. So, depending on the location, we're either still in that single modal era of shared mobility, or we're well into the multimodal era. And this might be becoming more and more prevalent by design, but really, in real life, people have been multimodal for a long time. For example, in London in 2017, 30% of Uber rides were to or from underground stations. That's almost a third of all rides in the city of London. So it's obvious that people are already using multimodal navigation or multimodal uh, mobility solutions in combination with public transport to get from point A to P. So what multimodal apps are doing right now is to first find a way to catch up to what people have already been doing. Um, And then second, make that more convenient and give them more options. And at this point, this is actually quite limited based on the geography and based on the participation of both service operators and the cities in which they operate. The next step after that would be achieving um, that multimodal mobility. And really that brings us to what we're calling the all-modal era. What really happens there is aggregators start taking more charge of the customer facing experience. And operators get to take a break from doing absolutely everything and focusing on operating the services. An all modal app is really that dream multimodal app where you have true A to B trip planning, you have single payments, you have a single profile all within a single app. A lot of people are calling these super apps where they also allow uh things beyond navigation and beyond mobility as well. And so at that point, the only thing that would be missing is all this AI and machine learning elements that we keep hearing about. Basically, a smart mobility solution that provides two-way input, both to customers and to operators. For the customers, it continues to give them that best route according to their preferences, whether it be using the least number of services or traveling at the lowest cost or the earliest arrival time or even the most autonomous at that point. And then for the operators, it provides input for asset redistribution, consumer habits, event-related peak times, and more. It kind of is that smart city mobility
0: that everyone is working towards, and it is the moonshot. So it feels like the shared mobility sector is at a bit of a crossroads at the moment, with some early investors in this space scaling back and others ramping up. Let's start with those cutting back. GM recently announced that it was cutting Maven services. What do you make of their announcement?
1: That's actually a really
0: interesting one because it's not just
1: GM. Uh, BMW and Daimler Joint Venture also pulled out of their services for the North American market in particular in the past few months. So really at a superficial glance, this rhetoric of the end of shared mobility or the death of shared mobility is making itself out there. But car sharing in particular is really misunderstood. The European model shows us that successful car sharing services are possible, but they're ones that are hyper-localized and they meet local demand in the way that it needs to be met. And then really as an example of think of public transport as kind of the best way to compare. No two cities have identical public transport systems, and that's because of people in different places and environments having different needs. Um, the car sharing services must also adapt in, in a similar way. So back to North America, to your question, let's take Seattle for an example. With BMW and Daimler's joint venture services, Reach Now and Share Now, which used to be Car2Go, uh, now out of the market, They have actually left a void in a city that was enthusiastic about car sharing. It had relatively high utilization rates and even profitability, according to ReachNow. So what happened there? AAA's gig has swooped in and is going to meet the market demand. Of course, their plans have been delayed now because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but they're still planning on launching in that city. So OEMs are probably still looking at GM and the joint venture and thinking, hmm, maybe mobility isn't for us. They might be right in that consumer-facing elements of shared mobility might not be for everyone, but there is definitely a space in the ecosystem for automotive OEMs. And really, I think that's a lesson that GM and the others have probably learned. And I don't think it'd be the last we see GM in particular in the shared mobility market as well.
0: Mm, That's really interesting. What about the other end of the spectrum? Uh, Intel seems to be ramping up their investments in mobility with the acquisition of Moveit. What what do you expect their role to be moving forward? So while consumer facing sides
1: of shared mobility have been turbulent and we've seen a lot of market withdrawals and other scary stories of services failing and cars being vandalized, etc. The back end of the mobility ecosystem has actually been quite robust and quite stable. There's companies that have been around for years and have helped multiple mobility services on their way up and then one scaling down as well. They still have companies like Rightsell and Viewlog. They still have the agility of startups, but they've been around for a period and they offer a set of very professional services on a very much global scale. For Intel, as the example that you mentioned, Moveit was a no-brainer. Really, it's an existing service with a customer base of over 800 million users in more than 100 countries. That user base alone would have taken Intel years and years to build, and that's assuming they would have been successful in the first place. Aside from the kind of that instant street cred in the mobility sector by acquiring Moveit, they also get insights into user habits. They get insights into mobility dark spots, underserved areas, and all the other user user insights that. When they combine with their autonomous vehicle technology from Mobileye, it really allows Intel a clear path to competing in the autonomous mobility field. And it gives them that full stack of shared mobility services and support services and such. So in short, they've bought themselves a seat at the table. Then they have guaranteed that they will be part of the upcoming conversation just as much as Waymo would be. So the big question is, how does this synergize with Intel's core product? And the answer for Intel always goes back to computing and the amount of computing required to run a global autonomous multimodal mobility service. It really works well with Intel's bottom line. You're going to see a lot more of these synergies where a shared mobility service or a multimodal mobility platform will work well with big tech's internal core competencies that they like to work towards.
0: It's really interesting seeing all these different companies coming at this from different perspectives and with different kind of assets under their hood so intel coming with chipsets vehicle manufacturers obviously coming with with vehicles what about google Um, they've come at this from a very different angle with google maps being more of a multimodal planning tool alongside various other assets like waymo and google play it feels like they've got most of what you would need to deliver a pretty amazing shared mobility experience what if anything do you think is kind of holding them back
1: for this one, they're probably thinking of the user experience overall and the longevity. So Google is known for putting products out there, experimenting with them, and then canceling them without warning. They've done this over and over again with some of their products. But I think they realize that this is too big for them to want to risk failing and restarting this. They put in a lot of money towards it. They put in a lot of emphasis towards location-based services in general. It's also worth mentioning that at least at an organizational level, Waymo coming out of the X company is a completely separate product and separate brand even under the Alphabet group. So while we may see integration with Google Maps and Google Pay in the future, we'll still very likely see Waymo as its own brand, at least for the foreseeable future. This also means that Google Maps has that advantage in that it can integrate more than Waymo and it won't have a conflict of interest doing so. We're already seeing ride hailing and micromobility already integrated into Maps. And the only thing that's missing, as you mentioned, is that payment element. But what we expect to see is autonomous mobility services also integrated in the same way. Saying that, Google isn't really the only company that's vying for, for that multimodal throne. Grab in Southeast Asia is a big one. Didi in China, Ola in India are all prime examples of regional competitors to Google that are also going for that same target.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We often have a very kind of US-centric view of shared mobility because of players like Google and Uber. But you're right, there is a very kind of regional nature to markets like Southeast Asia, um, markets like China, where these other kind of bubbles of uh, strong companies are, are showing up with their own unique approaches. Why don't you give us a little bit of a world tour of those different countries and talk us through you know, what unique things you've seen, particularly in emerging markets, coming out? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we
1: mainly talk about Europe, North America, and China as the main markets for shared mobility. Interestingly, those just happen to be the markets with the highest car buying rates as well. So we can touch on those briefly, but like you said, there's other interesting things happening elsewhere. So in Asia, we have Singapore's Grab. They recently made a deal to acquire the location-based services platform from TeleNav. And it's really aiming to be that true super app in Southeast Asia. And that's not to mention It acquiring Uber's operations in the region a couple of years ago as well. India has a huge potential for shared mobility. So low vehicle ownership rates combined with notoriously busy public transportation means that shared mobility is really the answer for many in society. I visited my colleagues in our office in Bangalore last year and I had the pleasure of using Ola which has actually started expanding beyond India and recently talked about completing more than a million rides in the UK already. In the Middle East, Kareem was such a big success when going up against Uber, that it was actually in the end acquired by Uber and they paid the largest amount ever paid for a startup from that region. Um, And then even looking at places like Mexico City where nobody thought a stationary car sharing service would work, Carrots car sharing thrived because the local community saw the value. Um, And it was actually able to partner with local organizations, local insurance companies and banks to find new ways to provide services to the public. So the message here is that really shared mobility is everywhere, and you can find different versions and different implementations with different levels of sophistication all over the world.
0: So with some of these kind of major regional players coming out, with established players like Uber and big tech players like Google, and Intel taking kind of leaps forward, what's really left for, for OEMs in terms of their role?
1: Well, in short, a lot is left for OEMs. To start with, these mobility services will need vehicles. And whatever anyone claims, building a car is not easy. OEMs have the supply chains, the experience, and the infrastructure needed to to successfully supply vehicles to the shared mobility sector, no matter how large it gets. These shared mobility companies will also be looking to get the most bang for their buck. And again, the automotive OEMs will be able to provide that. So we track all of all shared mobility services in some of our reports. And we focus on OEMs in our shared mobility guides in particular. In Europe, PSA and Renault are still involved in multiple city scale car sharing services. Uh, VW is operating and expanding its carpool services. Toyota launched a joint venture with SoftBank and others um, with Monet Technologies. And even in the US, we're still seeing Hyundai, for example, launching its first car sharing service in LA. Other OEMs are still investigating and will be launching shared mobility services or will be investing um, or partnering with them as well. So as long as there are services that rely on cars, OEMs will continue to be involved in not just uh, participating in the industry, but also shaping it. Um, And whether the consumer knows it's happening or it's behind the scenes, it is happening. Let's not forget that the current services are not perfect. We've done a lot of field testing on car sharing services in particular. Uh, We tested everything from remote unlock troubleshooting to implementations of lost and found policies, and even tried to get car sharing vehicles towed just to see what happens. Needless to say, we found a lot of holes in the customer experience. So overall, it's a collectively young industry with a lot that it needs to learn. And while that is true that OEMs have a good, as good a chance as anyone if they really try to commit to shared mobility as something they not only want to be a tangential part of, but a real driving force behind.
0: In the second episode of the series we spoke to to Lee and to Jack about connected services and we covered a lot about the challenge of operating services versus making vehicles um, and how it's a real culture shift for car companies when it comes to connected services to manage KPIs like engagement rates, activation rates, renewal rates, usage rates it's it's a big shift from the traditional metrics that they use around quality and and durability of their vehicles do you think the same applies to shared mobility services and do you think oems have the right culture and capabilities to be front-end operators of mobility services
1: one thing's for sure oems in general seem to have taken that very cautious path for the most part for uh, shared mobility Um, i don't know if i would attribute that to culture or commitment um, although that is true for some but i think the the bigger part is that roi So for the most part, I think OEMs wanted to make sure that they're not missing out completely on the market, and especially for a market that may have such significant impact on their bottom line and how they do business in the future. So for that, any learning points and experience is good from their perspective. On the other hand, some OEMs try to be profitable without committing the resources needed to grow and scale services. Unfortunately, if there's one thing that is true about shared mobility, profitability can only happen with scale. That scale needs investment. So getting involved in the mobility space has to happen top down within an OEM's organization just to make sure that there is that level of commitment. We've done a bunch of research into how shared mobility fits into an OEM's organizational structure. Whether the shared mobility team is acquired, spun off, or built into an existing team within the organization, I can tell you one thing, that there isn't a science behind it yet. There is no standard way for a shared mobility team to be integrated into
0: an OEM. Let's focus a little bit on on profit that you mentioned just now. There's a common assumption floating around the shared mobility services sector that these can't be profitable, that they won't be profitable until level four autonomy becomes more technologically mature and cost effective. What's your view on the prospects for profitable services? Is it something that is just about scale, or is there something else that's missing from this ecosystem to be able to deliver profitable services? So last
1: year, we published a report that looked at the opportunities for OEMs in the shared mobility space. As part of that report, we mapped the different types of shared mobility um, on a consumer adoption curve. And the vast majority of services are still really in the early stages of consumer adoption, with ride hailing probably being the only one that's tapping into the majority acceptance so far. So as I mentioned, scale is needed for shared mobility services to be profitable. This will happen before level four autonomy. I'm sure of that. Um, the reason the current uh, large-scale services are not profitable is because of how much they're investing into expansion and how much they're investing into the improvement of their own offerings and the reason they're spending so much is that because they know that there will be a tipping point where they see a return on their investment so big risks are being taken but an equally big risk is standing too long on the sidelines and really missing out on that opportunity to capitalize on a market Um, and i believe that market will see
0: rewards Mm, That's interesting. It wouldn't be a proper webinar if we didn't at some point talk about COVID. Uh, Many of the mobility startups that have already folded in the last month or two or made big cutbacks blame COVID. Uh, What do you think about that? Do you think this is just a short term blip? Or do you see any longer term changes because of the rising concerns around viruses?
1: Yeah, the the Ubers, Lyfts, Grabs, and Ola's of the world are all seeing only a fraction of the rise that they saw uh, at the same time last year. And that's a direct result of entire states and countries being told to stay home. It didn't help that Maven's cancellation announcement happened during the pandemic, although GM did stress that this was coming regardless and this was a, a larger business decision rather than one tied to the pandemic. I don't think it's doom and gloom for shared mobility in general. I think there's a definite place for it in the future of transportation. So looking at it from the consumer perspective, uh, we recently partnered with Autonomo for a consumer survey in the European market. Interestingly, it showed that while consumers may not be absolutely thrilled uh, that shared mobility is the future of how they'll be getting around, they seem to accept that it is coming and it is happening. This reflects the reality of things post-pandemic as well. There's a lot of talk about the desire to own a vehicle. Yes, that will definitely go up, but desire does not necessarily translate to ability to purchase a vehicle. On the other hand, what we will see is an aversion to using public transport, and that's where shared mobility comes in. It is a convenient compromise between the pains of vehicle ownership and the fears associated with the kind of the fresh germophobia and the social distancing and isolation that people are becoming accustomed to. So... In short, people will want to go places again. People are already starting to go back to work and in some places to the bars and restaurants as well. And they will be choosing shared mobility over public transport, especially those that don't already own a car and will find it unfeasible to do so no matter
0: how much they really, really want a car. One last question, Mo, I want to go through with you. You talked a lot about the benchmarking that you've done in the past. Can you talk us through some of the best practices that you've seen and some of the worst practices? What's been some of the stuff out there that's really kind of struck out when you've been testing these services?
1: Let me split that into uh, kind of two categories. There's the digital experience, and then there's the kind of the vehicle experience. So for the digital experience, where we've seen uh, some of the best practices is uh, getting customers onboarded uh, quickly. So Once they download the app, don't ask them to fill out entire profiles and provide their driving license, etc. That just um, means that customers will drop off midway through the registration process. What you want to do is make sure that you have a seamless, simple user experience on the app or on the website to be able to do that. There's a lot of resources that are available to help operators get to that point. All the white label platforms provide app templates that operators can use. So it really doesn't need the app, the service operator to uh, to be very tech savvy in order to do that. On the vehicle side of things, again, looking at the user experience, um, how easy is it to find the vehicle? How easy is it to unlock the vehicle? How much does a customer have to wait for the vehicle to get unlocked? What does the vehicle availability look like? All of these things that may not show up when doing uh, research into other services will have an effect on the user experience and the user uptake of services as such.
0: That's really good. So to, to wrap up, we're on the path towards a, a truly multimodal and seamless shared mobility experience. But that journey is seems to be going at very different speeds uh, according to you, Mo, according to what region you're in, what cities you're in. Um, so we probably shouldn't take any given month or quarter's worth of news as a snapshot in isolation um this seems like a, a longer term journey filled with ups and downs to some extent and i guess it's going to be those companies that learn the most and learn the quickest and have the, the most patience with a long-term vision that survive and thrive do you think that's about uh right in terms of a wrap-up of where we're at with shared mobility yeah absolutely it's a young industry there's a lot to learn but there's also a lot to profit excellent Well, I want to thank you, Mo, for talking us through the future of shared mobility. We've covered a lot of ground today, and we're probably going to need another few episodes in the coming months to go deeper into some of these topics, particularly in things like how to run a profitable shared mobility service. For all our listeners out there, if you have any questions or feedback on what we've covered today, please don't hesitate to share those with us. We hope that this series can kind of help to give a more balanced view on what the future for connectivity, autonomy, shared mobility, and electrification bring to the industry. Next week, we're going to be looking at electrification, which is often perceived to be one of the mature case letters, but it isn't as simple as that. So we're going to be inviting Robert and a couple of other analysts from SPD to join us and to talk about what the future of electrification looks like for the industry. So thanks again for joining us. We hope that you found it helpful and look forward to seeing you again next week.